listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist. With over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars, this is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. I'm all alone today. There's no Melissa, no co-host. We are going to do an interview a little bit later in the show with Mr. Henry Cooper. Henry is a Northwest-based blues musician who's been at it for quite a while, and uh, he's been a big influence on me and my playing style and even just the way I approach guitars. It's a little bit of a departure for the show because, as you know, normally when we interview people, it's guitar builders or pickup winders or, you know, uh, really tech-oriented stuff. Henry uh, is more of a player, even though he does dabble in guitar tech. I think he does most of his own tech work. Uh, and he's good. He he knows what he's doing. But I wanted to talk to Henry more a, about his playing. And it's a departure for the show, but uh, he has very some technical information about how to get your own tone that I think is just as technical uh, as, uh, you know, a, a show about rewinding pickups or resetting necks. Um I learned from Henry that if you have to rely on certain pedals and gimmicks and doodads to get your tone, then it's not really your tone. A really good pro guitar player has a recognizable sound that he can get with almost any guitar and amp. And that's true if you, you know, I, I know it sounds, that sounds absurd to a lot of you, I'm sure, uh, but think about it. If you hear just a few seconds of B.B. King playing, you know it's B.B. King. If you hear just a few seconds of Eric Clapton playing, you recognize his tone. Uh, Albert King, uh, you know, Santana, recognizable players can get their tone through uh, any decent guitar and amp. And there are there are players who rely on effects like David Gilmore is is famous for using a lot of compression. But uh, a really good guitar player um, should be able to get their own recognizable signature sound through almost any rig. And uh, I was miles away from that when I met Henry. And he... <laughs> I'll tell you the story. I went to his jam, his blues jam, in the early 2000s in Seattle. 
and I showed up. <clears throat> I showed up early and set up. I think I was sitting in with him for the first part of the uh, the show. I don't remember. Anyhow, I set up and I brought out my giant pedal board. I had you know two tube screamers and a a delay pedal and a tremolo pedal and a whatever else I had. I don't know wah wah pedal. Uh, a roto vibe, you know, I had eight pedals in this pedal board and, uh, he watched me set it all up and he said, Hey, listen, and he was very tactful about it. He, he, he said, you know, I think this is cool, but there's a lot of these other players are going to show up to this blues jam and I don't, I don't want them to laugh at you. Uh, they, you know, a lot of these guys, they, they kind of feel uh, like pedals are, are like a crutch. So I tell you what, man, put those pedals away. You can play through my amp and I'll, I'll set you. Do you like m- my tone? He said, yes. Yeah, I love your tone. You can play through my amp. I'll set the knobs. You'll sound great. You'll sound great. But, um, j- try playing it without the pedals and just, just trust me. And I, man, was I scared because to me, Playing without those pedals was like going on stage without pants. I I was absolutely terrified, but I trusted him and did what he said, and I, I played through his amp, and he set the knobs, and uh, boy, I tell you what, it was a real eye-opener. I thought, wow, my guitar sounds full, way fuller than it did with, you know, it, these these pedals seem to kind of sap your tone. Uh, in a lot of cases. Anyhow, um, that was a real turning point for me, and uh, I learned a lot more from Henry over the years, and that's why I wanted to interview him today, because he's got a lot of great information about how to get a good tone, and how to get how to get your tone that's hiding inside you, if you haven't mastered it yet, it's in there, and you need to access it, and you need to showcase it, and uh, Henry's got some great information and tips about how to do that. So that's why I wanted to interview him. And I think that's as technical as anything we talk about on the podcast. So it's a little bit of a departure, like I say, because he's more of a player than anything else. But he's one of my favorite players. And uh, so I thought it was a great excuse to uh, to interview him. Anyhow, what else is going on around here? Uh, before we do the interview... Uh, I wanted to take a call. We do have one call. Oh, thank you, everybody, for submitting questions. We've been flooded with questions, and I appreciate that. We'll get to them uh, in a later episode. Calls do take precedence, though, so we are going to take a call. I think, you know, maybe we should t- wait and take the call with Henry, because I think it's a it's a question that Henry can, can, uh, can speak about as well. So we will do that. What's been on my bench lately? Well, I'll tell you, I've been making custom guitars like a madman. I just sent one to Portland, Oregon. I sent another one uh, over to uh, New Jersey. And I sent yet another over to Ohio. And uh, I just, they're flying out of here. So thank you everyone for who's been ordering guitars from me. I'm making them as fast as I can and as well as I can. I've been flooded with repairs as well. I really have been busy. I thought about taking this week off and not doing a podcast, but I really wanted to interview Henry. So uh, we're going to do that. Uh, The repairs I've been working on, I've been restoring a 
early 1900s, I think it's a 1919 Gibson L1. Really a weird little transition guitar. It's, uh, if you've seen them before, it, it has qualities of an arch top and it has qualities of a flat top. It's got the round sound hole like a flat top would have, but it has an arch top and a trapeze tailpiece and a, uh, a, uh, an arch top style bridge. So interesting guitar. Uh, when I got it, uh, I'm restoring this for a friend of mine. When I got it, it was pretty mangled. A lot of binding was missing, a lot of cracks and dents and dings and and some missing wood. So I had to patch everything together and got it all happening, got the, got the uh, binding replaced that needed replaced. And uh, the finish had been completely, completely removed from the top. And most of the finish had been removed from the uh, sides and the back. So... The neck was original finish, so I left the neck and refinished the body, and it turned out really nice. I, I just posted it on my Instagram if you wanted to go take a peek. It's up there uh, on Instagram. I am at Eric Daw Custom Guitars. And, uh, yeah, sprayed a sunburst, and it turned out really nice. So I was happy with that, and once it cures a little bit more, I'm going to finish it up. Uh, I've also been doing a lot of refrets. I've got two vintage fenders in for refrets right now. I'm always doing those. The 70s, <clears throat> they're 70s maple board fenders, and so those are a little tough because the uh, the finish is thick, the frets are tiny, and they they finish it after the frets are in. So the frets are like encased in, in lacquer, and they're just, they're worn and tiny on these particular guitars so that's gonna be fun that's always a fun one to do but i've done a million of them and i'm sure it'll go fine uh i need to i'll I'll have melissa shoot some video of me taking those out because i have a feeling that at least one of those the frets are going to want to come out from the side and i don't think i've ever posted video of how that works so uh, i'll try to i'll try to have melissa take a video of me doing that anyhow let's get uh Let's get a commercial out of the way here, and uh, then we'll be right back with Henry Cooper. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to see examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. If you're a fan of the show, it has become obvious to you that I repair and restore guitars. I'm not a hobbyist. This is something I do full-time for a living, and I've done it for almost 25 years. If you have a guitar repair that you need help with, consider sending it to me. I get repairs from all over the country. People send me guitars from 
far and wide from Hawaii to Alaska to Florida, and I would love to help you with your guitar. I know a lot of people live in an area where they don't really have a tech or a repair guy that they can trust, or maybe it's a really complicated repair or a really special guitar to you that you don't want to just trust anybody. You can send it to me. I promise you'll be satisfied with the results. I rewind pickups, I restore vintage guitars, I do refrets, broken headstocks, neck resets, you name it, if it's broken on a guitar, I pretty much fix it. So I'd love to help you out. You can go to my website to read more about me and to see a price chart. Go to ericdaw.com, that's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. And if you need more information, you can contact me through that website by clicking the contact link and send me a message there and I'll get back to you. Um, So thank you for listening and now back to the show. Joining me on the phone is Mr. Henry Cooper. Hi, Henry. Hey, Eric. How you doing, my friend? I am doing great. It's really good to talk to you. It's been a while. It has been a while. I think the last time we talked, we were talking about Strat pickups or something for your Strat. Or, yeah, or Tele pickups, those great ones that I got from you. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm very happy That's with. Right. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit of a departure for the podcast. I don't know if you if you listen ever to the podcast, but uh, normally when I do an interview, it's with a guitar maker or a pickup winder or something like that. And I really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I wanted to branch out and do this uh, and talk to you more of as a player, even though I, I know you're... You're tech-savvy. I think you do most of your own work. Yeah, I'm a tinkerer, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, you have a unique approach to to playing that I wanted to talk about, and I think it's just as technical as anything. Uh, You have uh, a a very recognizable tone and sound, and it's a great tone. Thank you. Yes, and when I hear... Uh, one of your recordings come on, uh, I can instantly go, that's Henry Cooper's guitar. And that's what we all strive for, so yeah. thank you. Well, and it's fascinating to me because I've watched you over the years play, and you'll play at jams or where you know wherever you'll, you'll uh, play it with a back line with you know mm-hmm. this a revolving uh, num- different guitars and different amps. And regardless of what gear you're using, you can get that Henry Cooper sound, and that's always fascinated me. And I wondered if you could, if you could talk a little bit about that. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, part of it I don't know that I fully understand, but you know, I came to the guitar kind of in a backwards way. You know, being self-taught, playing in non-conventional tunings and stuff, and um, it's you. You started on lap steel, is that right? Yeah. Go ahead. Did you start out on lap steel? Yes. I actually actually really started out on harmonica, and I was playing in blues bands right out of high school. My first paying gig was 1976. Yeah. And But I always wanted to be a guitarist, so I, I got a lap steel from a fellow named Mike Van Ice, who later played in the Robert Cray Band. I bought a silver tone lap steel from him for 20 bucks. And um, there wasn't anything out there at the time, no YouTube, no real tutorials, except one book written by a guy named Arlen Roth, who's a really great guitar player. Yeah. And um, so I learned the tuning and a few basic patterns from him. But um, I wanted to play, I mean, I, I used to go see Albert Collins a lot. He came to town a lot back 
when the Robert Cray backed him up, and I was fascinated with his approach with the capo and all that. Yeah. So I switched over to a, ultimately a regular guitar, but keeping it in that tuning and still playing slide, but playing fretted notes as well. So it's kind of that hybrid thing that led me to where I am today. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you have an, an interesting right-hand technique, too, where um, you, you just have such a light touch, and it's fun to watch you play uh, just a, such a delicate touch. Sometimes you use fingers, sometimes you use picks, but uh, is that an important part of your sound? It is, and um, you know, tendonitis forced me to forego the flat picks maybe 10, 20 years ago. I can't remember, but oh, yeah. uh, so I use occasionally thumb picks if I need that extra bit of punchiness, like if I'm playing a dobro or something, but um, pretty much just fingers now. And yeah, uh, how I um, hit the string with a finger or a fingernail, I've always been fascinated, and I know you have too, with some of those Gulf Coast guys like Gatemouth Brown and Guitar Slim and Johnny Guitar Watson and uh, Albert Collins, guys that played that way. And I do think it gives you um, a different kind of tone, maybe a little more control over it. Uh, it works for me anyway, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a mix up thing. And, uh, you know, I get some guitarists watching me cursing me cause they can't figure out what I'm doing. And occasionally I find someone like yourself who appreciates it. And I'm always very grateful for that. Well, it's, I, I, I find it interesting because it's, uh, you know, all of my favorite players. I mean, if I hear Jimmy Vaughn, if I, if I hear just a little snippet of Jimmy Vaughn, it doesn't take very long for me to recognize his tone. Yes. Which is amazing because he'll play a matchless amp or he'll play a Fender amp or he'll play some boutique yeah. amp and, and or he'll play Telecasters or Stratocasters or Coronados or and it doesn't matter. It sounds like Jimmy Vaughn. Yeah. That's a pretty nice thing to be able to, to do. I'm a huge fan of his as well. Um that first T Bird records got me back into playing blues back in like 79 or whenever wow. it came out. Yeah. But I used to play with a guy in Seattle named Albert, uh, no, uh, Isaac Scott. Oh yeah. And he was the same way. He could play anything, a cheap harmony or a nice vintage strat. He always sounded like him. And he played with his thumb and got this huge kind of Albert King tone, but he could do upstrokes or downstrokes uh, and do it fast up and down with his thumb, which is really hard to do and always get that sound too. And I, I, Playing with him definitely influenced me as well. Oh wow! You know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I never got a chance to see him. I think I think he passed away before I moved to Seattle. Yeah, he was on the decline health-wise from diabetes and things. But um, when he was on, uh, he was a quite a force of nature. I got to say, yeah, yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, I told a story in the intro of the podcast about the not the first time we met, but the first time I think we played together, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, uh, lumbered up on stage with my huge pedal board and, uh, got ready to play. And you kind of put your arm around me and said, Hey, listen, man, uh, these pedals are cool and, and they're fun, but have you ever tried just plugging straight into the amp? You know, some of these other guys might laugh at you with all these pedals. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. And it, and it was such a huge influence on me and it, because uh, I had I had literally never done that. I mean, to to me to play on stage without a big pedal board would have been like playing naked, playing without wow. pants on, you know. And uh, you you said, "Hey, uh, use my amp. I will. I'll. You know, if you like my tone, you're going to get a good tone. 
use my amp. I'll set the knobs. You'll get a good tone. Just trust me. And I did. I trusted you. And it that night, it changed the way I play. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know I had that kind of impact. Well, wow. Do you, I mean, I do you probably, remember uh, that? I don't know that I'd be so bold these days. But I was still drinking beer back then, too. But I remember... <laughs> You as being a good player right out of the gate when I heard you. So uh, if that helped you, I'm glad I was able to help. Yeah. Well, and, um, it, and it dawned on me that, um, you know, I was always striving to get somebody else's tone. I was always striving to get Stevie Ray Vaughan's tone, or I was striving to get mm-hmm. Jimmy, Jimmy Vaughan's tone, or I was striving to get uh, Albert King's tone, or whatever. And, I th- and, and it dawned on me, I need to strive to get Eric Dawes' tone. Mm-hmm. You do, yeah. And uh, not many players uh, uh, approach it that way and achieve that. So many players rely on a certain gimmick or a certain pedal or a certain doodad or or a certain um, uh, trick to get their tone. But if they're using if if your tone is encased in a pedal, then it's not really yeah. your it's not really your tone. It's it's the sound of that pedal. That's true. Yeah. Oh, I remember a, long ago reading a quote from Les Paul. I think he may have been talking to Pat Martino or somebody. I can't remember, but he was telling this person, yeah, you play a lot of great stuff, but can your mom recognize you on the radio? And I thought, yeah, that's, uh, that's you know, because <laughs> it, it's true. It should be an expression of extension of who you are. Like I think Santana once said, a man's guitar tone, a person's guitar tone is their face, their musical face or something, you know. Wow. It kind of makes sense, you know. Yeah, it does. Maybe a little cosmic, but, you know, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and the pedals are cool and pedals are fun. I, you know, mm-hmm. occasionally I'll use a delay or I used to have a uh, an echoplex, which is a lot of fun. Oh, cool. Yeah. And those actually, yeah. those... those co- I, uh, I use a, a reverb and tremolo pedal for my amps that don't have it, and um, that's pretty much it. I do use a little thing called a glass pedal made by um, uh, Ralph Novak here in Eugene, who used to build the fan fret guitars and stuff. Oh, yeah. And it's just a, a little clean boost, so when I have to play real quiet, I can get a little edge. But that's really it. I'm with you on that, you know, reverb and tremolo or maybe a little delay. Yeah. You know, if I was playing, trying to play a rockabilly style, not that I do, but... Yeah, that's um, you, you got it, man. Well, and it and it opened my eyes to the fact that the way you pluck the string has a huge mm-hmm. impact, especially when you when you've got your amp set loud. The way you mm-hmm. the way you pluck the string will really really impact the the overall tone and the overall sound, mm-hmm. uh, and just little tiny nuances and differences mm-hmm. in how you pluck the string can can make a big uh, difference in your in your tone yeah um that thank you for that it's true i um uh, as, as i get older especially i try to remember to let the amp do the work put a little less wear and tear on the old fingers and tendons and stuff and um i also there again remember seeing i was lucky enough to see some of the greats you know i mean albert collins a bunch of times muddy albert king buddy guy a bunch of times in bars and i remember being struck by their ability to change uh, the mood real drastically with with something like um, their approach to hitting the string, especially Albert with you know his fingers of dynamite, you know, yeah, and, uh, yeah. And that whole thing. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I try to. I guess it's more automatic now, but um, it's definitely it's something I I do, and uh, you know, yeah. 
You, try, try to get the sound. You you just uh, said something real real quickly there. Let the amp do the work, and that's another yes. thing. That's another thing that you said a long time ago that really stuck with me. Uh, it's it's once you realize that you you can see players do this all the time. They're they're really choking up. They're choking the guitar, and they're really trying to wrangle sound out of the guitar. But the harder they hit it, like the the more impotent sounding their their tone gets. Like if you really uh, let your amp do the work and have a light touch. It's a, it, it actually sounds more powerful. I, I couldn't agree more. And in fact, um, you know, if, if everything's maxed out and you're playing it as hard as you can, you have no place to go. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. I, I, I never have my guitar turned up all the way, maybe rarely for a full on solo, but I like to have some in reserve there. I also use the tone control and, um, you know, uh, yeah, let the amp do the work. And don't hit it so hard. Uh, I know that, like playing acoustic, if you hit an acoustic too hard, it gets real compressed and it doesn't right. breathe, you know. So I, right. I try to uh, take that same approach uh, towards the electric guitar, too, you know. And uh, it's true what you said. It's um, The amp's there to help you, so let it. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, and it allows you to add texture to your tone that wouldn't otherwise be there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. One of the another thing I learned from you was, uh, you know those those, I can't remember what they're called, but the picks with the grip on them. Uh, the uh, yeah, I think I got one in my pocket. I can't remember the name Dunlops, of Dunlops. Yeah, Her- or oh Herco, yeah, yeah. the Herco picks that have a grip. Herco, right? When you flip yeah. those around and uh, use that grippy part to pluck with, it gets mm-hmm. you this weird like chewy sound. Yes, that's great. Yeah. Just little things like that have such a big impact on your tone, and I feel like so many players don't experiment with that and don't realize that. Yeah, I, 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 I see what you're saying there. I mean, I saw these people, I saw a TV show where this guitar player, he had so many effects, it looked like a whole acre's worth. I couldn't believe it. It's the guy from U2. He's real good and everything, and uh, not knocking him, believe me, but uh, yeah, uh, you could play you know, play it like you're playing an acoustic maybe and then, you know, take it from there or something and uh um or try playing electric guitar unplugged, you know, and just just little stuff like that. And yeah. uh I do think it helps unlock um some of the potential of the instrument, definitely. Yeah. You're also you were also the first guy that uh I saw flipping magnets on pickups to get an out of phase tone, like a oh. Like a P ninety or a yeah. humbucker, you can you can flip those magnets on the P nineties so that when you use them together, yeah. you get that out of phase sound. It, is that something that you still do? Um, now, when I have pickup issues, I I come see you. But uh, in the old days, I I used to play these K guitars back where you get them for a hundred bucks, and they had what they called the Kleenex box pickup. I'm sure you know about them. Oh yeah. And I I had a band about thirty years ago, and I bought this. It said Old Craftsman, but it was a K single cut. Uh, and it had those Kleenex box pickups that um, I wanted to get the T-Bone Walker-ish type of out-of-phase sound. So um, I did that to one of those, turned the magnets, and yeah, it works. I'm like, oh, cool, you know. So yeah, that was, you know, through experimenting, and I probably ruined a few things while I was experimenting, but back then those guitars were really cheap, so, you know, I I messed with them. And yeah, that's uh, I like that sound. I wouldn't mind having it again, but I don't currently have it but maybe down the line i will again yeah it's a nice uh 
tone, it's a nice sound to have in your arsenal because that out-of-phase setting really will cut through the mix. Man, yeah, it's a great sound. You hear, I think Albert King used it at some time, and I've heard James Burton's, some of his session work with like Merle and stuff has that sound too. It is a really neat tone. Of course, Peter Green, great player too. And yeah, yeah um, I do like it. And um, it does, it does seem to cut through uh, unusually well. Yeah. I don't know why, but it does. Some of, uh, some of the records that Steve Cropper plays on make me think that his, his pickups were out of phase too. Like if you listen, oh, really? well, it, it, he sometimes gets this crazy tone. And back in the uh-huh. day when, when Telecasters were, you know, pre-67, Telecasters were wired differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes those pickups were out of phase with each other, but you'd never know it because there was no setting to get both pickups on at the same time. All right, unless you balanced it real carefully, right? Yeah. Or something. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, right. So people maybe would, that's why. People would rewire their, their tellies so that they could, you know, to a to what we would now call a modern telewiring, and then when, yeah. once they did that, they discovered, hey, these pickups are out of phase, but they sound really cool. I don't even know if they knew they were out of phase or if it was just a, uh, I, yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, I, I hear some old blues records, T-Bone particularly, when he had his ES5, and then that Barney Kessel he had too, I think, had that sound. And then I heard guys try to copy him, like early Jimmy Nolan, and a lot of Texas players wanted to get that sound too. I heard, um, was it Clarence Holloman or some of those guys that played with like Bobby Bland and stuff hmm. got it too. I think, you know, T-Bone kind of set the, set the tone for that. And a lot of people tried to get it and it must've been kind of a head scratcher. Like, how does he do that? You know, is it the yeah. tubes? What is that? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite. I have to have that on my, on, on it. If, if I'm going to a gig, I take a guitar that has that tone because, uh, it's just another it's just another sound I'm able to get <clears throat> without really much fuss. There's no pedal, there's no anything and it's it is fun when you see another player who's ne- who hasn't experienced that they go, "What is that? Sound? What are you doing? How does Yeah. Is... Yeah, it's neat. Now you make me want to play that way again. I'm going to have to figure out how. <laughs> oh yeah. That's I... a good sound for sure. I mean, I guess some of those Gibsons with the very tones maybe could get something like that too. Yes. So maybe that was a, a way to do it too. Yeah. Well, uh, and uh, you had a Switchmaster, I think, in the in the I did two thousands in the early two thousands, I think. And you, yeah, it was a custom shop, and the thing was like driving a Fleetwood Cadillac. It was uh, quite an instrument. But yeah. um, yeah, that's probably the flashiest guitar I ever owned. I didn't keep it real long, but I liked it. Uh, it didn't do the out of phase though. I don't think. Uh, until I maybe put a different pickup in it or something. Um, I seem to re- remember. I, I seem to remember you flipped the magnets on that one too, but maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I did. Yeah, yeah. it's possible. Um, um, it's been a while, but yeah, I remember trying a couple of different things on it, and um, maybe that was one of them because you could get it. It had it so you could get all three pickups on at once. I think if you wanted, and uh, that yeah. was quite a quite a ride <laughs> that guitar. Oh, I bet. The, yeah. pi- the pictures that I've seen of you playing lately, uh, you're playing guitars with one pickup. Yeah, well, I've, I'm mostly just playing a telly now, um, but I do have a little Dan Electro with one pickup, and my lap steel has one pickup. So yeah, um, I could get by with that, and um, sometimes I do, although sometimes, as you know, you're in a bar and it's kind of buzzy. It's nice if you can get your pickups to 
when you put them both together, it'll cancel out the home. That's a nice feature to have yeah. um, when you're in the bars, you know, all the neon and stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Uh, you talked a little bit about playing with the volume and tone controls on your guitars a lot. Is that something that you'll, mm-hmm. you'll go in there and, and customize? Do you swap out caps and, and swap out pots to try to get uh, the best uh, uh, working parts in there? Or do you have a particular size of cap that you like to use? Well, I've, uh, I do change the caps. I want to get the tone control to be useful throughout most, if not all, of its range, definitely. So um, with the telly I had, it was originally wired in the old-fashioned way with that booby cap that I think isn't of much use. So I, I experimented with different values until I found one that was noticeable without, you know, and, and, but still useful. Um, I don't use like any high pass stuff on the, um, you know, like putting a cap across the two hot lugs in the volume. I don't do that. You don't really yeah. need to with the fender, I don't think. But yeah, I do change the caps uh, when needed. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm always working the volume and tone control all the time because yeah. if they're set up right, they do make a difference. Um, I mean, when I first started playing, I just like turned it up all the way. You know, and that's about it. You know, I didn't know any better, and I just, you know, working with it. I've read uh, Roy Nichols, I think I read it was, where he'd just take a twin, turn everything up all the way, and then yeah. keep his guitar barely cracked when he played with Mel Haggard and stuff, you know. And so that was, uh, in, I wouldn't quite go that far, but I, I get what he's doing. You yeah. Know? And, of course, loved his playing, so um, yeah, there's that. Um, uh, we have a... Uh... Uh, a phone call that a, a question for the podcast you know people call me and they leave messages for the podcast mm-hmm. and uh i wanted to take this phone call and i, I was going to do it before the interview but i thought eh, why don't i play it while henry's on the phone and we can talk about it together so uh sure. be happy to yeah let's uh let's take this call here let me see if i can okay. make, make this work hopefully you can hear it okay hi guys um this is ken i'm calling from maine I was listening to your file, and I do have a question. Um, Staggered poles on pickups, primarily Fender pickups, uh, but then perhaps as others. Uh, Can you explain what the difference is and what the benefits or um, otherwise are? Anyway, love your guys' podcast. Please keep up the great work. Take care, and happy holidays. Bye. Cool. Did you get that? I did, and that's one that I have thoughts on. Yeah, definitely. Do you yeah. pref- do you prefer the flat poles or the staggered poles? Um, I like staggered. In fact, I have the staggered in my telly that I got from you, and I particularly find it important with the arc of the fingerboard. My telly has the old-fashioned, you know, pretty rounded profile, and a lot of times the G and D strings might not be as loud. So, uh, especially with a wound G like I usually use, I think that's important. Uh, the flat poles sound neat. You can get them right up on the strings, but I'm, I'm really big on having balance. I think each string, I try to think of each string as its own little instrument together. They're like this little orchestra. So everybody wants to be heard. Yeah. And, um, I think that is important. Definitely. I, it's funny because I see some of the staggers on these vintage reissues that the stagger was designed in 1955 or something for when everybody used big flat lines with a wound G and now these people have plain G so their G strings always real loud and then you gotta try to fuss with that. No, I, I something I um I do pay attention to, definitely. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I have the same thoughts. The I I used to use a flat pole uh, set up in an old telly I have, and uh, that's what I noticed. My D and my G strings I felt were too quiet, and I I like to get my pickups as about as close as I can without without the magnets interfering, you know, with the yeah. with the vibration. Uh, so, yeah, me too. <clears throat> uh, that's what I noticed was the D and G strings were were too quiet. Uh, but when I went to try to buy a uh, a staggered pole pickup, just like you said, they uh, they were too staggered. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. so many of the when you go to buy a staggered pole pickup, they they really don't have it figured out. What that's what I've done with my pickups is I have a very gentle stagger. The you know mm-hmm. it's it's really the D and G poles are raised, but they're not raised that much. And it actually, it works well with the vintage radius, with the seven and a quarter inch radius, but it also will work well with a 10 inch radius or a flatter, a flatter radius. So, um, yeah, yeah. that's what Doing I Doing that, having, having the pickups you made in my telly made a big difference because I have, you made my lead pickup with staggered and I'm probably the next pickup too. I can't see with the cover on it, but it very much makes every string more even, and I do like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I used to notice with the old flat pole tellies, and, and they're cool. Some of my favorite players use them, but a lot of times your low E is way too loud, you know, right. too. So there's there's that. So, yeah, yeah. stagger it for sure. I think I, yeah, and on, on strats as, as well. I, I never stagger neck pickups on tellies because they sit under that cover. But, uh, oh, right. But yeah. with a... Uh, with a neck pickup, it doesn't seem to make as big of a difference because by the time uh, you get out to where the neck pickup is, the string is vibrating more. So with with a bridge yeah. pickup, with a bridge pickup, it really matters because the string isn't moving as much down there by the bridge. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a kind of a that's a good scientific approach to it. Yeah, I uh, I see what you're saying, and yeah, the neck pickup I got from you uh, on my telly is. Great sounding. It has a nice and clean. You can make it sound like a arch top almost if you want to, which I really enjoy. Playing it through a tiny little magnetone amp I have with a, a six inch speaker, eight inch speaker in it, and uh, it's pretty gnarly sounding if you want it to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I uh, uh, I I was visiting Jason Lawler's website, and Jason makes oh, yeah. makes wonderful pickups, but he recommends flat pole pickups, and he has an interesting take on that. Uh, I'm not going to say he's he's wrong. He just has a different opinion. But you know, I mean, he's a great he's a great uh, guitar builder and pickup maker and a great player. He's his pick his his opinion is just as valid as as mine is. But uh, he uh, recommends uh, flat poles, and he recommends um, making uh, dropping the pickup down away from your strings a little bit to get more of a. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't remember the word he used, but to get a different sound. And one of the things, uh-huh. one of the things he said is, nobody ever complains that their that their 1950 broadcaster uh, uh, is a uh, is a flat pole uh, pickup. You know, right? But uh, well, he, he he probably has a point there. But um, I thought about it, and I thought, well. Maybe they did back in the day. Maybe they did complain, and that's why Fender started staggering them. Well, actually, I have a little anecdote regarding that, and that is I had read somewhere long ago that in the early days of the broadcaster, Esquire, Nocaster, 
the first few customers were complaining about the low E being too boomy. Hmm. And um, they actually sent some got sent back to the factory. That's an anecdotal thing, but it came from someone pretty reliable. It might have been in that uh, Richard Smith Fender book or one of those yeah. about that very thing. So, you know, um, I, I think flat poles are cool. Sure. I mean, where you can. I love his playing. Oh, yeah. He's got that old telly. Um, maybe with a plain G, it'd work a little better. Uh, and then again, it's like everybody's got an opinion on it and uh, I happen to agree with yours even though Jason's a killer builder and a wonderful person too you know it's uh, I uh, I like a little more definition yeah definitely. yeah yeah definitely yeah and and uh, I I set my pickups like I said as about as close as I can get them is is that your approach as well do you tinker with pickup uh, cl- uh, height a yeah. lot yes I do it's pretty much what what you do is I get them as close as I can without, you know, hitting them with the string or my hand or the magnetic field pulling them too much out of tune. I especially notice that with a strap. But, yeah, I do do that um, because I want to get a good signal to the amp. And, uh, yeah, that's just especially like the older pickups with weak magnets. I have an old lap steel with a P13 pickup in it. And that oh, yeah. magnets barely have any magnetism at all, but it sounds so good. So I get it almost touching, you know, of course. Wow. I'm not fretting it. I'm just playing it with a bar. But yeah, I I, I like them close. Cool. Definitely. I just picked up a Harmony with P13s in it, and it's the wow. great. It's such a great guitar. It's a big fat arch top with a single cutaway uh-huh. with two P13s. I forget the model. Oh, I forget the model. It's like a H61 or something like that. But um, yeah, it's a big sunburst hollow body, and it's got like inlaid, you know, headstock. It's like the nicest Harmony that they made probably it's like a top of the line fifties harmony with the Gibson made P 13 pickups. And I just, yeah, that I, sounds like a great guitar, man. Uh, I, I, love, the I sound. love those. And my, my last steel is a harmony H four. So it has the same uh, pickup in it, but yeah, that was a good find. Those are great guitars. Oh yeah. Wow. I, I love it. And I, I flipped the magnets on the neck pickup so I can get a, an out of phase tone. And then oh, cool. another thing that I learned from you was, on a guitar like that, where there's separate volume and tone controls, you can decrease, you can turn the volume down just a little bit on that out of phase pickup, and it brings the bass back in, but you still get the out yeah. of, you still get the out of phase tone. Yeah, that's definitely because, like you said, if, if you if you have them both cranked, it gets a little thin. The bottom end goes away. So yeah, introducing a little bottom end back in, and it's a real fine balance sometimes. But yeah, yeah that's a. Uh, it's a good sound, man. I'm gonna have to go find me an old harmony now. <laughs> there you go, and that's something yeah. you can't do. Like if you have a Telecaster with two out of phase pickups, you've only got one master volume, so you can't turn down one pickup just a little bit. So no, yeah, I think I tried doing that, and I wound up taking my neck pickup or, and pushing it way down so it was quieter. But that's really not the right way to do it. Two volumes yeah. is what you want, and I think that's how. T-Bone probably got it with that big ES5 he had and all the knobs on it. You can yeah. Zero in, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you played with, uh, I want one more thing I wanted to ask you about. You played with Screamin', oh, sure. Screamin Jay Hawkins back in the day. Yes. How did that come about? Well, uh, this was uh, New Year's Eve, 1986 to 87. Uh, he was playing at the Pine Street Theater in Portland, and he, they needed a backup band. And I had a little band called the Falcons, the Lost Falcons at the time. 
And um, there was a guy, uh, Mike Quinn from uh, Monkey Productions, and they, I think, are still around. He got us, because he knew we liked that kind of music, he got us to back him. Jay was using pickup bands back then. So we learned a bunch of his songs and went and did the gig, and he was able to play songs like Little Demon and Frenzy and things he hadn't played in a long time. We, we learned them, and he, I think it impressed him. So he was like, oh, I'm going to bring you guys to Europe. And we're like, yeah, yeah, sure. But lo and behold, <laughs> we did end up backing him for a year, um, played in L.A. a lot at a little club on the strip called Raji's, which was just kind of notorious little punk rock club. That was a real interesting uh, time. Also, the Palomino Club, uh, which was a great old bar, which I don't think is around anymore. And uh, then to Europe and um, a really in- great tour. That was probably the most... I definitely made the biggest leaps in my playing because I went from being this little bar band guy to playing to pretty sophisticated European audiences, and I had to kind of really step up. And um, so I do think I'd thank him in that opportunity because it definitely was the most best period of uh, of learning. And Jay had Jay was around in the early days of R&B, uh, as you probably know, he was in Tiny Grimes's band, Tiny Grimes and the Rock and Highlanders. And yeah, wow. Uh, he told me, he goes, yeah, Tiny taught me how not to treat a band. He was the youngest guy in the band, so he had to sleep in the car and guard the equipment while the rest of the band slept in hotels. Wow. Uh, but, um, yeah, he was I, he was a, quite a character. Um, I and bet. Getting to talk to him on the tour bus about music and stuff when he wanted to uh, was great. And, uh, and the funny thing is, we're talking about gear. Back then, I had the crappiest guitar. I played all these gigs. It was a pan Telecaster copy with a plywood body that my buddy Pat at his auto body shop painted blue metal flake. And I bought a neck. Back then, there was a company called Saga that made like necks and stuff, and you could get them. And I bought a Saga neck, stuck it on there. And then I got a, uh, a old Gibson EH-150 lap steel, I bought it for a hundred bucks. Beautiful guitar. looked like a miniature Les Paul sunburst. And I pulled the old Charlie Christian out of there and put it in that guitar. I had to route all the way through the body and attach a bracket to the back to get it. To stay. <laughs> wow. That thing sounded killer, but I mean, I'm going all over with just this one guitar that I put together and uh, I kind of laugh about it now. I don't know that I have the guts to do that or the ignorance to do that, but it's, I listened, I have a few board tapes from those days and, uh, Oh, that's you know, great. they gave us good amps to play through, and yeah. tone's pretty good. Yeah, those were the times. Uh, Jay, a lot of people don't know who he is, but I will say that um, right about that time, there was this movie that Jim Jarmusch was a big fan of Jay's, and there was a movie called Stranger Than Paradise. And uh, I've never seen the movie, but apparently there's a character in there, a gal who has a radio that's always playing, I put a spell on you all the time. So a, a whole new generation of, like, punk rock kids became fans of Jay's. So we played a lot of those to a lot of those audiences. And that's why we played Raji's so much. And, um, it helped give him a, a, a boost, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. You know? and right after I left the band, he made this movie called, um, uh, mystery train, uh, the Jim Jarmusch movie where he plays part of a hotel clerk in it. And, uh, but yeah, I'm, I could go on about that. It was a pretty interesting time. I bet it was. It, it sounds like it was fun. Yeah, for people who don't know who Screamin' Jay Hawkins was, he wrote probably his biggest song was I Put a Spell on You, which Creedence Clearwater Revival made a little more famous. But uh, yeah, he, he wrote some great songs. He did. And he, um, when I was in his apartment in Hollywood, 
he had a letter on the wall framed from, I think it was from Tom Fogarty, saying, you know, we really like I Put a Spawn You. Thank you for letting us record it. It's a great song. And he also had the coffin propped up in the corner of his apartment, the wow. one that was he used to get in and out of uh, on stage, which he told me was something that Alan Freed convinced him to do. He said Alan Freed had a roll of $100 bills. He kept peeling them off till Jay agreed to come out of the coffin. <laughs> and uh, he... Uh, he also told me there was a bootlegger who lived behind, who worked behind the back door of the Apollo Theater, and he would go over there and get a pint of bathtub gym and down it as he walked through the backstage door onto the stage. Wow. And he was totally smashed when he recorded I Put a Spell on You. He didn't drink anymore when I played with him, but I, uh, yeah, stories like that, I mean, they're priceless. I'm glad to be able to tell them because, you know, it's, he was more, definitely roots root of what we do now you know and stuff for sure oh yeah yeah that's that is just priceless amazing singer too oh yeah definitely amazing yeah cool man hey i uh i i noticed that you've got a a compilation of some of your music out on cd right now is is there a is there a place where people can can order that or can they email you or a website or anywhere they can get that um yeah i have to get that together. I'm, I'm, I just put it together to have something to sell at shows, but um, I do have a little Facebook page called Henry Cooper Music. Uh, there's more than one Henry Cooper music out there, I found out, but um, oh. I'm the guy that plays guitar, not trumpet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm going to try to make it, I have a PayPal, so I'm going to try to make it, if anyone were interested, I could uh, do that. And yeah, it's a compilation of the four CDs I put out between 97 and 2007. All that stuff was out of print, and you know, I had to buy one of them back. I had to buy a couple of them back so I could make the master, and wow. I had to scour eBay to find them. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's uh, Henry Cooper Music on Facebook. If anybody was interested, yeah, so I will try to make that happen. Good, yeah. If they can contact you through there, that that's a, yes. that's a good way to do it. I I was wondering yes, if thanks. I could if I could get your permission to close the show with one of your songs. Yeah, anything you want. You Is bet, that man. okay? Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay, well, uh, we're going to do that then. Man, Henry, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I I just can't thank you enough. It's been a great interview. Well, thanks for having me, my friend. You've uh, been definitely positive influence in my life for a long time, and uh, I'm glad we got to catch up. Right on, brother. Okay, thank you so much, man. Take care, my friend. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to Henry Cooper for joining us. That was a great interview. I've been wanting to do that for a long time and and and, and talk to him about some of those things and uh, get him down on tape, you know, how he plays and how he approaches playing. Uh, it taught me a lot, and I hope you learned from it too. And uh, we're going to close out the show with one of Henry's songs. I think this is my favorite song he does. This is called Goodbye Blues. And you can get his CDs uh, online. You can find them. Or if you want to buy his... Uh, the best thing to do it, uh, would be to find him on Facebook, Henry Cooper Music on Facebook, and order his new compilation. Uh, great music, great player. I think if if you like blues, you're going to love his stuff. So here you go, Henry Cooper, Goodbye Blues.
You know it just ain't working out Goodbye blue You know it just ain't working out Ain't no money in my pocket And my pilot lights burn out So long blues Seem like we just can't get along Smile 